Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This one. Swing and a miss, strike three. Good pitch in on his hands. That was a fastball in Alzali. Works a one, two, three, sixth inning. To be honest, I felt that today was my best game so far. You know, I was completely in control over all my pitches, you know, and even in the seven after the home, and I feel that even my emotions uh, were, were where they were supposed to be, you know, keep attacking the guys, uh, getting those ground balls there, you know. Uh, I feel that overall, uh, I take this game uh, as, a, as a really good one for me, you know, moving forward. It's the best I've seen Edward Alzali in a Cubs uniform in a start. Seven innings, two runs, five hits, struck out six, walked nobody. Cubs did lose the game to the Cardinals 2-1, to one, but Alzali, that was encouraging. Welcome back in on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. I'm Mark Grody, here with you until 3 o'clock. We'll talk Bears with Mark Potash one hour from now, 2 o'clock, with Potsy of the Chicago Sun-Times. I like to spray to all fields with Potsy, too. We'll just find out what's on his mind. We'll talk a lot of Bears with him, obviously, but we'll see if he's got some opinions and takes because Potash and I, when we are allowed to be in the same place at the same time, because of the pandemic, we do our own little sports talk radio show. Actually, I shouldn't even say that. It's one-sided. I just like to ask him questions and get his opinions on things. So I like to bring as much of that as I can to the radio. So we'll do that with Mark Potash a little bit. Your calls are always welcome at 312-644-6767. The Cubs play a little bit later on tonight. 608 Cubs and St. Louis rubber game of that three-game series with each team having 1-1. Let's get more in-depth now with the Cubs of Cubs insider from northwest indiana he is evan altman how are things in the hoosier state today evan you know it's uh it's not bad it's not bad at all it's a little warm a little sunny i've uh i've already been a part of two baseball games today so i'm i'm the pump is primed i'm ready for a, an, an evening of cubs baseball now oh that is fantastic and by the way before we we go any further what i did not realize about you evan the reason i'm emphasizing indiana is because i have learned from a source that you and david haw are from the same town of north judson indiana town of 1772 if i'm not mistaken yeah you know i I think you might even be overshooting the uh the population a bit there but yeah I, i grew up uh I grew up watching Dave Haw dominate high school sports, uh-huh. and uh, you know have have followed him have followed him throughout. So it's a it's a neat little 
it's a neat little connection that we've got going on there. And I know his mother just had uh, a birthday. So happy birthday, Joan Hall. Oh, happy birthday to Joan Hall. I didn't know it was. And David just had a birthday recently as well. So that must that must have been a, a hot week in the town of North Judson growing up with Mrs. Haw and, as you said, Dave Haw having birthdays during the same week. Yeah, I got to so. go. I got to, I gotta, you know, we got to take things down from the formality of, uh, but, uh, but you know, it, to further, my father's name is David. My first name's actually David, but that was confusing. And so I, I feel like the, the kindred spirit of David's, um, I'm allowed to remove a couple letters at the end and go monosyllabic with it. That's fair. Yeah, absolutely. You get. Hey, you guys are both from North Judson, so that that everything is fair game at that point. All right, let's absolutely. get into these Cubs. Yeah, let's let's get into the Cubs here, man. And sure. do you agree with me that that was the best that that Adbert Alzai has pitched in a Cubs uniform, considering the circumstances? Yeah, I mean, I think, and I think even if you if you take out just and it certainly passes the eye test, right? But then if you look at the statistics, right? Uh, I mean seven innings there's his longest start and if you look at you know game score if you if you take account of those metrics and kind of uh an all-inclusive kind of sort that was his highest of the year here six strikeouts no walks his third straight game with no walks by the way which i think is really impressive for a guy who's still getting the feel for you know some of his pitches i think that the interesting thing here is with as much as he's throwing that slider and we've seen him really go to that two seam those were pitches that he only just incorporated you know, less than a year ago that he really put together at the alternate site in South Bend. And I, I think what we're seeing is a guy who, you know, a young pitcher who is still kind of coming into his own. And I, and I think we're seeing the the potential for an ace level kind of a starter, particularly if he can really get the feel. And I don't want to indicate that he doesn't know how to pitch yet. I think he clearly does. But when you're talking about really learning those pitches, uh, we're seeing him sort of evolve into that right before our eyes. And, and yeah, I, I thought he was masterful last night. It was great to watch him work. Yeah, and it, you know, the slider was spot on until except for a couple of sliders as he started to tire, I suppose. Or I mean, it was too bad he gave up the, the two-out triple to Sosa and then subsequent Lane Thomas single. But the, the Yadier Molina home run, I don't know how, how closely you were paying attention to the broadcast, but... John Smoltz basically, they didn't call it, but he was talking about how aggressive Yadier Molina is the third time through, which many hitters are are want to be. I guess I like that David Ross had the faith to keep him out there. Did you have any problem with, with Alzali still being out there at that time, third time through, especially against Molina, who had hit the ball hard to left in the previous at-bat against Alzali? Yeah, and I, I I think it was the right decision. Just kind of, and I I know it's difficult to look at this, but you you look at a guy coming up. Uh, it's a nice start with Zach Davies, who you know is coming off a, a couple of pretty good starts, but but really, you know, how much do you maybe have to lean on that bullpen? And if you're getting that kind of performance from your starter, you kind of let him roll. But um, you know, it, it felt like, and I and I feel like you know I kind of made fun of, of Molina and the, and the St. Louis fans for. Um, believing the previous at bat was a home run. And so I, yeah. I feel like perhaps did it even go on the warning negative track? karmic influence. No, it didn't even make the warning track. You know, and so yeah. Yeah. I, I think there was something uh that, but you you sort of felt like, man, uh, you know, he's the aging star is, is gonna come back now and, and kinda come back to bite you after that uh-huh. one. Like he was maybe a little angry at himself. But um no, I mean I think that was the right call, all things considered. I, I you know, Molina isn't 
that scary a hitter anymore, you know, but he's still, obviously he can still jump on a mistake. Right. And, uh, I mean, he's a professional baseball player. Those, those guys can sometimes, uh, get it right. And, and sometimes as we saw last night, one little mistake here or there in an otherwise excellent performance can be what, what kind of dooms you. But at the end of the day, if your starter goes seven and only gives up two runs, the offense should have been able to hang more on the board. Uh, he should have. He deserved a win. Alzali, that is. Uh, the Cubs needed to, to pick him up, and, and they weren't able to. You know, But by and large, we've seen the offense perform a lot better than that. So uh, ideally, that's back to being a little aberration. I got to say, and something tells me, Evan, that you didn't care or didn't feel what I was feeling during this, but I did like after Yadier Molina hit the home run, he got the curtain call. I did like that only because like that was symbolic of where we are in life in that there's a full crowd basically at Bush and there's a curtain call which we were without they were all deleted last year did you did you feel anything during the Yadier Molina the curtain call or were you like I hate Yadier Molina <laughs> Yeah I mean I I, I don't um I don't think there's any love lost uh, there however you know I I will say this and I I think um if you if you go back to um, David Ross's last season as a player, the 2016 season, last home game, uh, Molina did a lot. You know, the, the crowd gave Ross a standing ovation as he as he came up and he ended up you know what hitting a home run in that game. But but Molina kind of stepped up, uh, created a little time, and let Ross uh, soak that in. And so mm. uh, while I I personally don't have a lot uh, of, of kind things necessarily to say about uh, Yadier Molina for a variety uh-huh. of reasons, maybe, but uh-huh. but I you know he's a guy who does kind of get it. And I know we joke a lot about St. Louis and the best fans in baseball and classy and that sort of. But for as much as Cubs fans maybe aggravated him with, uh, with him and, and to stick him on his chest protector and whatnot, um, it, it is cool. There is a really special relationship that he's got with the city there, and so to be able to celebrate that in front of the fans, I think, uh, having not had the chance for Cubs fans to really give a, a farewell to John Lester and, and others, I, I think that's pretty cool. And being in a ballpark and having a lot of fans there again, there is something really special to that. So I'm not going to begrudge any player uh, being able to kind of celebrate that a little bit. All right, that'll be the last nice thing I say about the Cardinals. Because I, I don't want to lose my listeners either, nor do I want you to hang up on me, Evan Altman of Cubs Insider. So I, I will, I will. Let me get back to the the Cubs specifically. You mentioned the bullpen. Are they onto something, or is the bullpen just hot right now? I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, I, I don't know that with bullpens being as fickle as they are. Uh, there's there's rarely those situations. Clearly, you can find some really good ones. I mean, when, when you look at the Royals and, and how they were able to go to their uh, title run in 2015, they did it largely riding the bullpen. I mean, we've we've seen Milwaukee, you know, somehow hang on to, to relevance throughout an entire season, leaning more heavily on the bullpen than the rotation. But, uh, you know, one of the biggest differences, and I, and I do, I will take issue with something John Smoltz said, which uh, I think he really undersold the Cubs system, and some of these guys they brought up, part of this run, and the, and the Cubs have one of the best bullpens in baseball, period, but they've been lights out for the most part in May. And a lot of that is because of contributions of rookies. Um, you know, I mean, when you when you look at and, and Justin Steele's now on the IL, but uh, between Justin Steele and uh, Keegan Thompson and those guys, and, and not only coming up and performing well, but immediately, and Tommy Nance is another one. I don't want to forget about him uh, as a 30-year-old, maybe a little bit more overall experience. But, um, you know, it was an indie ball when the Cubs signed him. And now 
has come up through there. But these guys haven't just come up and provided a little bit of contribution. They've been good enough for David Ross to say, you know, I feel comfortable throwing you into a high-leverage spot and go Uh get me some outs in the the seventh and the eighth. And then to get that to a resurgent Craig Kimbrell, who looks as good as he ever has, when you know you've got those last two to three innings covered, you know, no doubt in your mind – you can get a little bit – it makes the manager a lot smarter, right, because you, you have fewer matchups you really have to play. And and if you have to pull that starter after five or six innings, you know you've easily got those last three or four covered. I, I think it's just they, – they are running hot, but it's awesome when you can bring up those young guys. I think that's also helpful that, that they, you know, it's energy. Uh, those, those guys are showing fire out there, and it's fun to watch. They're hard throwers. They've got all kinds of nasty stuff. And and that picks everybody up. So yeah, I think it's a it's a mix. But boy, it's good to see the rookies doing good work. Yeah, it is, and it's usually the, the good teams that have the good bullpens. And I'm I'm not saying the Cubs are gonna go on some immaculate run or even take over to the, the division, but it is rare when bad teams have bad bullpens. So we'll see exactly where that goes, and a lot of it will be incumbent upon a man you just mentioned, and that's. That's David Ross to pull the right strings to know when to bring, as you said, some of these guys, as we've seen, get putting put in some of the worst or do you say best high leverage scenarios. How do you think how do you evaluate David Ross in year two of his managing the Chicago Cubs? I think he's done a, an excellent job and, and certainly, you know, the uh, depending on who's doing the evaluation, that might seem a lot different from what it was early on you know a lot of people were clamoring for for big changes get rid of some of these guys you know we saw them just on this weird up and down run the the contact wasn't there the too much swing and miss and you'd see you know whatever the i don't remember what it was now but you know 51 runs in three games or four games or something and then you know another 60 runs in the in the remaining games so it was something very lopsided in terms of uh how well they would get out there and score but to his credit you know, and he, he made some little tweaks here and there in the lineup, but, uh, you know, and giving guys a little mental break. But I think what we've seen is a lot of that patience has paid off. And, and who are some of their hottest hitters right now? It's Ian Happ and Jock Peterson, two guys who early in the season, everybody said, oh, you got you to get rid of them, bench them, send them back to the minors, whatever you need to do. And, and you know, I, I don't think it was strictly a matter of being on the injured list for a while, but that does. That gives you the mental break that shows you what you're missing and kind of maybe uh, fuels the fire a little bit. So those guys have come back well. And then, you know, it's it's very helpful when you have somebody who, by and large, has performed at an MVP level in Chris Bryant. That can gloss over some of the other little uh, issues here and there and give other guys time to come back around. And so now what we're seeing in May, you know, the offense looks significantly more competent. It looks more balanced. Multiple guys are out there carrying the load on any given day. So um, I, I think he's done – less than maybe individual decisions that he's made in terms of the lineup, in terms of the bullpen is just keeping those guys together, giving them that confidence that, you know, you're not going to lose your spot with a bad game, stick it out and, and kind of holding things together in that regard. So I, I think he's uh, he's done a good job from a, from a motivational standpoint. And again, just a, a continuity perspective, just keeping things, uh, keeping things in order and, and letting it all play out. 
Yeah, and, and continuity is such a great word right now for the Cubs because I don't know what kind of continuity will exist come July 31st in the trade deadline. And it's my favorite question right now, and I think it's a good one, if I may say so myself. If the Cubs are in a scenario similar to the one that they're in now where they're, what, three back of St. Louis in the National League Central or maybe they're two back, is, is this still do you think that Jed Hoyer will still go through what is perceived as probably trading somebody from the core one of those free agents to be to try to do this rolling rebuild or do you think that they will actually go for it or should they go for it in this division you know it's that is uh, I wish I were making the kind of money that uh, that people making those decisions are being paid and and then I'd have a much smarter answer for you I think but um but well I guess I can always spend somebody else's money and then I sound really yeah. smart but um right that's, that's right you know I, I yeah it is it's it's tough right because you look at that a couple different ways on one hand you say well getting a full and and if Chicago is is indeed fully open by July as as the plan would be you know now You've got better revenue streams. There's, you know, we, we know that impacted some of the decisions early. That goes away. Uh, but also, you want to please those fans that are showing up there. And it's probably not the best move for your fan base to say, yeah, we're going to trade away some of the best players, even though we still look like we're in uh, contention for the division and maybe something bigger. You know, that, that generally doesn't go over well uh, at the same time. That you've got to think about next year and beyond. And, and so how do you balance that? I, I don't think there is uh, much of a case to be made for trading away everyone or, or at least a significant chunk, uh, nor do I necessarily think it's a great idea to hold on to everyone if they know behind the scenes these guys aren't coming back for one reason or another. So I, I think there is it's probably um, a move Hoyer's going to have to make some difficult decisions on. But, you know, the way they're playing, and I know a lot of people don't want to believe for whatever reason. I think part of it's a defense mechanism that, that as fans, you know, if I know a lot of these guys are going to be gone or if I think a lot of them are going to be gone, I'm going to find ways to downplay uh, how good this team is. But if they're all hitting to their capability, which I know is, is kind of a stretch, we don't all see that, this is a very good team. Uh, could they go out and maybe get some rotation help if that's possible? Absolutely. And and there's very little money committed to next year and beyond. So at some point they are going to have to go out and add some players, whether that's next winter or, or not. But, uh, you know, gosh, if they're in contention, I mean, we saw what happened with the Nationals a couple of years ago. You don't have to look good in April if you can get on a hot streak through the second half of the season. So it's there. But I, I do think we're going to see some changes with this team one way or the other. I, again, I just don't think it's a smart idea for them to make wholesale changes here this year probably not good for the PR or for the competitive level. Yeah, and and that is part of it and I guess, you know, the fan aspect of it and I, I it's a complicated one, Evan, because I think there was a time when that was more important than it is now. Like winning, I think, for most Cubs fans is valued after having gone what they went through with a rebuild and then seeing the fruits of that labor that the Cubs fans may have a different mentality now that maybe they get it a little bit more that they're about winning. Do you think that that is true? Or do you think that that Cubs fans would be like, what the hell are you doing to our team? Or because I, I want to give them a little more credit thinking that they, they'd get it, that they don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's, you know, the first time with the rebuild, a lot of people definitely didn't understand it, didn't like it, couldn't really get behind it. And then, again, you saw what came to, to fruition as a result. I think the the issue here is that 
uh, you're, you're looking at 10 years later, you're looking at a totally renovated ballpark and, and a very different looking Wrigleyville from 10, 12 years ago. And so, and, and with a, a television network that's owned by the team. And so there are a lot of mechanisms in place that whether or not they've realized the revenue they were supposed to, um, you know, those things are all in place to drive that. And so um, there were, there was so much wrong with the organization from the, from the top down or really from the bottom up, I guess we consider where the minor league system was at. The Cubs do actually have quite a bit of talent. It's going to take a couple of years to get up, but this isn't like the situation where you have to gut the whole thing and restart. And I think that is a little difficult to swallow for those fans who did understand the rebuild the first time. But the Chicago Cubs, who are one of the 22 most valuable professional sports franchises in the entire world, should not be in a position where they've got to gut the major league organization and and cut money and kind of do some things like that. So I think that's the part that would be really hard for people to swallow. If we're talking a rebuild, it should be one of those, uh, I think, as you mentioned, you know, it's, it's on the fly. You know, if you can refuel that thing while moving around a couple parts and maybe you've got a weird year in there, that might be acceptable. But I just, I don't think this team with their, uh, with their wherewithal in the market in which they're playing should ever have to go through another situation like we saw when, when Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer first got to town. Talking to Evan Altman, Cubs insider. I'm Mark Grody here on The Score. Last thing, let's talk about tonight's game specifically. Cubs-Cardinals, 608, right here on 670 The Score, pregame at 530. Um, Adam Wainwright against Zach Davies. I find this to be kind of an interesting pitching matchup from both sides. What what is Adam Wainwright at this point? Just keeps on coming back, and then I'd, and who is Zach Davies? Yeah, I mean that's going to be a big one. So I mean, and Wainwright is one of those guys who, and, and I mean he's he's striking out a few few more batters than he has in the past. You know his numbers look pretty similar. He's making some mistakes in there, and he's definitely not the guy uh, anymore who can get away with those, right? So I think the Cubs should be able to jump on him, but. This is a guy who, every time I, I think that, you know, here he is, 39 years old. Like you said, it's just it's like a bad penny who just keeps turning up, and it and it seems like I think this is something like his 52nd appearance against the Cubs. You know, wait a minute, just, he's not 40, you know, he's not 40 yet. He's supposed to be 40 by now. He's 39. Uh, well, maybe he's he's got the Albert Pujols thing going on. Maybe I don't know. Um, <laughs> okay, he's. He's he's older than maybe what he, he really is. He just, it just feels yeah. like he's he's been in the league for thirty nine years. Maybe that's what right. it is. But um, right, right, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it'll be in between the two of them. You know, between he and Davies, uh, this to me is at least as much about Davies for the Cubs. I mean, neither of these guys again is is kind of a scary pitcher, but both of them know how to pitch and they're certainly capable of of getting opposing batters out if they're able to hit their spots and make their pitches. I think for Davies, what we really need to see, you know, there was this, the pendulum is kind of swinging back. Initially it was, oh my gosh, this is all we could get for you, Darvish. And then it went to like, but wait, Zach Davies is actually a really good pitcher. Look at what he's done against the Cubs. Looks, look at what he did in Milwaukee and San Diego. And, and you know, those results really haven't been there yet, but now he started to come back around again. Uh, he really needs to give him some innings here. Uh, although if he doesn't, I think Ross needs to be on a short leash because yeah, you look at a day off tomorrow and then heading into Pittsburgh, I, I think the Cubs can't be afraid to get into that bullpen early if Davies is showing signs. But this is, is definitely a little bit different from what we would normally see between a couple of guys that you'd see in that kind of 
Sunday rubber game. So uh, not a whole lot of high velocity, but uh, but could be a really fun game if, uh, if both of those guys are on. Amen, brother. Thanks for coming on. And I hear that Dave Haw is going to be doing a a defensive backs clinic somewhere in the middle of North Judson a little bit later on today. So hopefully you can uh, give us a call and report from that and just let us know how that's going. As long as he doesn't show any highlights from his senior season at Ball State in the bowl game, I think that would probably be in everybody's (laughs) best interest. I figured that's what he does. He holds like a drive-through night in uh, in North Judson and and kind of points to all of his his David Haw highlights. Well, he's a big deal, Evan. He's a big deal out there, man. And hey, here. you know there was uh, there were there were some. I mean, when when you lead the entire state of Indiana in receptions, when you set the high school record, you do have some bragging rights. So, wow. uh, you know, it may have been passed since then, but uh, but and then and then when you lead the the state in assists on the other end. It's, it's, oh. it's pretty solid. So um, he's got he's got some exploits. Let me tell you, that's incredible. I'll read the book. Evan, thanks so much, man. Hey, no problem. Have a great rest of the show, Mark. All right, brother. Um, wow, David Haw. Who is David Haw? The man is very mod. I mean, we don't hear enough about these achievements that have happened in Indiana. Man, he keeps those quelled. Um, all right, I do it. Man, there's scary moments in the the White Sox oh, game. Is, check me out, I, man. <laughs> check me out, all. Oh man, don't don't upset Akeem Hicks. Don't upset. Don't ask him about Khalil Mack. No, don't do that. Um, scary, scary moment in the White Sox game, as your mean Mercedes just got hit in the head got hit it looked like in, right around the left ear hole and he went down immediately put his hand to that to that spot and Tony La Russa came out the trainer came out and they immediately went through some exercises with him though you know touching your nose and making sure he you know apparently he passed whatever test they were giving him because eventually your mean Mercedes did jog on down to first I'm going to be surprised if they keep him in this game, though. I mean, a lot of times when a player gets hit and they're injured, they allow them to go to first just so they don't have the the shame of going into the dugout. I'm not going to let Jamison Tyone beat me. But, man, that that was always frightening when you see a guy get hit in the head and he, he just got blitzed. So we'll let you know if your mean stays in this game. Again, he, he did get down to first base, so hopefully – Hopefully the dude is okay, but I wouldn't mind um, not seeing him in in this game. Sox trail, and it wasn't a fastball or anything. It was a curveball that got away, and then they they were making making sure that he could touch his the hand of the trainer, and then touch his nose and touch his head. So it seemed okay. like he was at least cognitive and very aware of what was going on. Yeah. Okay. Good. I mean that's that's great to hear. Yeah. I mean there, there's no reason why. Tyone would be throwing at anybody in a two to nothing game with a pitcher that has, you know, so far, relatively speaking, has struggled for the Yankees. So yeah, that that ain't that ain't happening. Um, we don't have to go there with that. But we'll we'll keep you up to date. We'll let you know what happens in it. When we come back, I, I never got to the the audio from the Fox game last night, the Cubs game, as they were bringing up some of the big picture issues with the Cubs and it's some interesting opinions and I want to play it for you next you'll hear from Ken Rosenthal Joe Buck and John Smoltz next it's Mark Grody with you on Chicago Sports Radio 670 the score you know who works hard Ken Rosenthal he's always chasing the story yeah 
Little Kenny with the bow tie. I'm Mark Grody on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score here with you until 3. Bears talk in 28 minutes from right now. 2 o'clock is when Mark Podash of the Chicago Sun-Times will join me. I'll ask him the question I asked right at the beginning of this show. If the plan is to have Justin Fields not play this year or not play at least in the first handful of games, whatever the amount, does that mean that on opening night, September 12th in L.A. against the Rams, that Justin Fields will be inactive because they wouldn't want to have to put him in if Andy Dalton gets injured? So we'll get into depth chart issues with Mark Potash coming up in now, well, still 28 minutes here on the score. Uh, from the 770 312 Play the damn audio already, Grody. <laughs> yes, I'm going to. And I'm sorry I've kept you waiting. That's dumb. I don't like it when other radio people do that. They say, hey, this is coming up, and then you never hear it, and you're like, what the hell? So anyway, uh, Cubs game yesterday. Lost to the Cardinals 2-1. to one. It was a good game. I paid very close attention to the broadcast, the national broadcast, Joe Buck and John Smoltz, and then, of course, Ken Rosenthal doing what he does, breaking stories and adding insight and flavor and all of that. And they got into the future of the Cubs and the issues that we have all been talking about regarding the core. So let's hear from Ken Rosenthal what his report was, and then Joe Buck and John Smoltz will add their commentary as well, and then we will react to that right here on The Score. Kenny, what are your thoughts on uh, what's to come for Chicago? Well, it might not depend just on the standings. Even if the Cubs are in it in July, but only in it in kind of a fringy way, they might decide to make some moves. They not are not necessarily going to say, okay, we're in the race, we're going to keep all these guys. They have more than a dozen free agents. Now, Rizzo, we just were talking about him, is a really interesting case. The negotiations in spring training did not go well. Cubs offered him five years, 70 million. That's barely more than half of what the Cardinals gave Paul Goldschmidt, and that was a pre-COVID deal. But they're kind of similar, at least in terms of age. Goldschmidt, obviously the better hitter. But Joe, you said it. Anthony Rizzo is a mainstay of this organization. He's a guy that won the Roberto Clemente Award in 2017 for his community service. He is everything to the Cubs. So it's difficult to imagine him going away. There's a thought that Baez also is likely to sign an extension. The big question is going to be Bryant and possibly Craig Kimball. Here's a ball hit right to Sosa. The young shortstop throws it across. Peterson 0 for 2 now. Yeah, I, I, th I think your point is, is well taken though. You know, if you start to divest of a lot of talent and now you're the lone guy remaining yeah. it's like okay well i don't know is 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 it as attractive as chris bryant who could be the biggest piece out there to be had because he can play almost anywhere defensively and he's been an mvp he's been a rookie of the year and seems to have found his stroke Again, takes a strike over the inside corner from Ponce de Leon. Well, two first basemen are similar in the fact that they're becoming free agents, that and Freddie Freeman, but their teams are in different directions. Freddie Freeman's been there through the thick and thin. Now the team's on the rise, won four straight divisions. And, you know, one would think they're going to lock up Freddie Freeman and for all that he's done and what he means to that organization. I think the Cubs are very interesting to Ken's point. You can be misled by the standings, let's say July 31st, and still not feel like your team can make a deep run. And the biggest challenge for a general manager is that. 
because your fan base wants to see the playoffs, but you're trying to be realistic in assessing yeah. where are we now and where are we going to be at the end of the year because let's say we, we stick together and, and make a playoff run, but it's short. The next year, you've got all kinds of holes to fill up without much to get for Interesting stuff right there from, you heard John Smoltz at the very end, Joe Buck as well, and then Ken Rosenthal was the first voice you heard on Fox. I'm Mark Rohde here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. Let's take these, well, I'm going to go in the order that I'd like to go in. Number one, Craig Kimbrell is a no-brainer that if, you know, it, unless the Cubs have like a seven or eight game lead come the trade deadline, then I think that you do make moves. And I think Craig Kimbrell is 1A and 1B. That That, that is a closer at the peak of his powers right now that contending teams teams that have a chance to win the world series will be all over and you can get something for that because when teams are desperate as we saw with the cubs in 2016 as one example on which to draw trading a role this chapman for the guy that has been crushing the or trading glabor torres who's been crushing the white Sox to get a role this chapman we we saw a team act accordingly in the Cubs in 2016. Other teams will do that. You can get something good for Craig Kimbrell, and you never know when a closer is going to go south. This could be the last good year for Craig Kimbrell. So there's no there's no sense in keeping him for the future. I think that's obvious to me. That really is. Chris Bryant, it's really hard to get a read on Chris Bryant because he. my gut is that Chris Bryant doesn't, like, he doesn't like all the – he doesn't care. Like, he wants the money. He wants to be respected, all of that stuff. But at the very core of it, he's unique in that he just wants to play damn baseball. That's all he wants to do. He's a simple guy in that regard. And like I said, he wants to respect. He, he wants to be, you know, paid like his peers, all of that. But he's more into – happy lifestyle and Chris Bryant is truly most happy when he's playing the game of baseball and presumably when he's with his wife and his new baby and, and maybe his his priorities have probably changed a little bit so that makes it difficult to know what make does he want to continue to be under the glare of the Cubs and we know that he has soured somewhat on media and being a star in baseball and rumors that occur and things that have happened in the past like he's not the same in terms of dealing with the media that he once was. He's not bad in dealing with the media, and he's still the jovial, childlike Chris Bryant. But what I makes don't him... give a How about that? <laughs> yeah, see? He let stuff out like that, and we never thought that we would hear that sort of filth, flour, and filth. I didn't say no filth, flour, filth. Um, but Chris Bryant, he's changed a little bit. So what is it that at his core is going to make him happy? And then, of course, it's further complicated by Scott Boris because all Boris wants him to do is get $300 million and go play for the Yankees or some top-notch organization or team that has the cash to pay, the big markets, the, the Dodgers, the Mets, the Yankees, the Angels, whomever, the White Sox. Um, so... It, it's it's really hard for me. My gut is that Chris Bryant won't be playing on this team next year. That's my gut. Um, but you know there there is it's 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 very it's very complicated. Um, Rizzo. Now I think I thought that they should assign Rizzo before the season started because not just for, for the peripheral leadership, Mr. Cub, all that kind of stuff. I just think that 
Rizzo's there's still there's still many years of high value in Anthony Rizzo. You know what I mean? Like the lefty bat, the guy is as consistent as anybody's ever been. You know, in this Cubs organization, and then and then and then you can add the other stuff too, the clubhouse stuff, leadership, all that good stuff. But that's actually secondary to me. Um, I don't think that there should be a sentimental reason for signing Rizzo. I love the sentiment, but I don't think that that should be the reason for, oh, we've got to sign Rizzo for the next three to five years. Um, and this was what this was Jed Hoyer a while back after Rizzo had kind of closed down the talks regarding his contract and kind of had stated his case about how much he loves the Cubs, but it's out of his control. And then this this was this was Jed Hoyer and what we know about how he feels about Rizzo and where things stand. I think there's a real danger um, when you're negotiating. You know, one data point um, from a negotiation comes out, and um, you know, any negotiation there's significant back and forth. There's dozens and dozens of, of conversations, and you know, I would just say that I've told Anthony over and over that. Um, I really want him here for a long time and I've made that clear. And um, I've also articulated the Cubs position uh, to him very clearly. And um, I think he knows where we stand. And, um, but the most important thing is that he knows that we want him back. And um, I certainly hope that uh, we're able to work something out. And that was after Chris, excuse me, Anthony Rizzo had had all the say and kind of made the, made it out to be that, Hey, I want to be here, but I'm not getting hearing the right things from, from management and that guy Jed Hoyer and so Hoyer I think in part right there is like hey hey don't don't put this on me man you know like hey yeah because he knows the power that Rizzo has with the fans and Rizzo knows it too and why not use every little bit of leverage that you have so that was Jed Hoyer responding you know way back when to say hey you know (laughs) we want him back you know we're not there yet but don't come at me with this. So both kind of getting their points across in the media. And that is the fine line that Jed Hoyer has to, to walk because they're because of the, like, he's speaking to the fans right there because of the sentimental value, which you have to be really careful with. If you are a GM, I thought Theo Epstein was pretty good, even in Boston and like going back to trading Nomar Garcia para when there, there wasn't a more popular player. And then he traded him and then, the Red Sox won the traded in with the Cubs. The the Red Sox won the World Series, not necessarily because of that, but that was putting sentiment in your back pocket. And and man, does Hoyer have to walk that that fine line right there. Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. Let me read some of your text messages. Theo once said, "Each season is sacred." If that philosophy still holds, and the Cubs are in contention at the trade deadline, it would be contrary to that philosophy to then break up the team. That's true, but as you said, Texter, that is what Theo Epstein said, and not that Jed Hoyer didn't subscribe to it or believe in that. You know, things change and things are being done differently, and quite frankly, I think they should be to get back to that point where you're competing for a a World Series. Uh, from the 309, the Cubs aren't a top-notch organization? Question mark, question mark. Yeah, I was saying that the Cubs should, if they were going to... If, Riz, if if Chris Bryant was going to be gone, Scott Boris would want him to sign with, with a top-notch organization. I did not mean to say that the Cubs are not that. I'm saying if he's not going to be with the Cubs, he would want him to go to another one of those big-market, big-money organizations which could, which could handle 
Chris Bryant. So yes, of course, I, I do. Th- I actually do think the Cubs are a, a top-notch organization since you know, basically since Theo Epstein got here, and that's part of why this conversation is so valid. That because it is a top-notch organization, you don't want them to regress to going back to a team which intermittently would win divisions and get to the playoffs and do nothing in them. You want them to continue to comport themselves as what they have been for, you know, about, what, six, seven years now, a top-notch organization, which they hadn't been in my life. Like, I would never have said that in my, my lifetime of like really paying attention to Cubs baseball, which goes back to about 1982 or so. Like, obviously there were some good times and spurts of goodness and greatness at times and fun and, you know, Cubs baseball, all that stuff. But no, there there was never this kind of sustained... Like Jim Hendry kind of... Like the Jim Hendry era, he, he came... Like he sort of set the table, I think, for where... The Cubs are in some ways, and even with some of his players like Javier Baez, like he started to make it feel big again and more about the baseball than it was just about going to Wrigley Field. So I do give Jim Hendry a little bit of little bit of credit in that regard and making some of the big moves that he made and some of the draft picks like Mark Pryor and the even you know, say what you want about Alfonso Soriano, but he did go out and sign Alfonso Soriano, making the Aramis Ramirez trade and I don't care what anybody says, Aramis Ramirez is one of the great Cubs third basemen in Cubs history and had some of the biggest hits of all time, um, for sure. So so Hendry kinda he was Jim Hendry was on to something. There is no doubt about it and what he in hiring Lou Pinella in doing what the Cubs did in 07 and 08 with zero playoff success. Like I said, like Hendry, and, and, and he came real close in 2003. I mean, that could have been, some might say should have been, a World Series year for the Cubs as well. So this whole thing, <laughs> this uh, like Jim Hendry would still be the GM of the Cubs had the Cubs won big in 03. Uh, unless he, you know, Hendry did a Theo and got out and, went on to other things but could you imagine if jim hendry was in theo's like jim hendry was now in charge of fixing baseball <laughs> no, he, he likes the boppers man he, he he likes the 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 big runs and he's not one that i guess we would call him because we don't have better phraseology at this point he's old school you know jim hendry is into the was into anyway the the old school scouting he was a crusty baseball man but he was a gregarious dude, man. I I had one bad experience with Jim Henry where he yelled at me because I was questioning Rich Harden's uh, velocity and that and the, but what we made up and um, he he was you know he was good with the media, always available, always returned calls and text messages, like like he he yeah he yeah now that I'm really thinking this through in real time, like he was the precursor to what some people call I, I it's it's cliche at this point but to call it the golden era of cubs baseball it's like let's not forget jim hendry and as loud and as failing as some of those moments were with bartman and all that and then not winning any playoff games in 07 and 08 shout out to jim hendry there you go um all right we need to break got mark potash coming up talk bears at two o'clock chicago sports radio 670 the score I don't understand why this Nomara guy is playing and we got Mango on the on the bench. 
Mark Rohde with you here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. I'm sorry, I can't ignore that, Sean. I, I'm sorry. Was that a caller to bought? Wait, a caller from from 2000 something in Chicago or Boston talking about Nomar? Do tell. Uh, neither. It was uh, Joe in Mount Greenwood talking recently that he doesn't like Nomara. Uh, I believe he meant uh, Nomar Mazzara. Oh, Mazzara. Oh, my God. And nobody liked Nomar Mazzara, so Joe wasn't wrong. Is he? Wait. I saw him recently. Is he on Tiger City? or? Ah, I knew he was in the Central. I was like, there's Nomar Mazzara. That happens. I have these, I have these baseball moments throughout the the early parts of the season always like oh he's there now oh there's panda he's there now like guys pop up you're like okay he's still playing and he's still there unlike the cardinals who always have adam wainwright and they always have yadier molina and somehow neither is ever 40 years old it it seems one of these days those two guys are gonna probably run a cardinals team one of these days uh, now up dustin here, and the cubs are gonna get some guys back carrie wood scott williamson nomar garcia coming back <laughs> no, Mark you got you gotta finish life is all about finish sports is about finishing and uh fred hubner right there did not finish you've got to give him his para and it clearly did not occur right there. Um, if you guys notice something about Wilson, Wilson Contreras is hilarious. When he, I think it's happening more this year with Wilson Contreras and Cubs pitchers than it has in the past, or at least it feels like it has. And that is Wilson Contreras getting crossed up. And he got crossed up by Alzali. Yesterday, I was trying to think who, but it was like it was Albert Alzali. Albert Alzali pulls the little card out of his pocket as players do these days, which is a strange phenomenon, by the way. That it, it just it's just weird to see them pull the little cards out of their pockets, pitchers for the signs, and outfielders to be where to be positioned. It's a good idea. It just it just looks odd. And so Alzali pulls out the paper, trying to figure out what set of signs maybe they're using, and then he he crosses up. Wilson Contreras, who immediately rips his mask off and gives this this look of what the bleep was that? And you know, and that's what you have. Like if you're a catcher, you have to then go out to the mound and talk to the guy. But just the initial reactions of Wilson Contreras when he gets pot when he gets crossed up, it's it's like a what are you doing trying to kill me? Look, that's that's what it is from Wilson Contreras, who then trotted out there. Did the the ceremonial putting his his arm around his guy and says, "Here's the signs. Use number three. The indicator is this. Go with that." But for some reason, and and maybe it's just because Wilson Contreras is hilarious when he gets crossed up. That I think that he's been crossed up more this year than in past years. But that may not necessarily be the case. White Sox update in this game here. The Yankees are continuing to lead the White Sox two to nothing. The game is in the, the bottom of the fifth inning. And yes, Dallas Keuchel still in, gave up a couple of runs earlier in this contest. The White Sox, they can use it. I'm not calling this the any kind of must win, but when you're on the verge of getting swept, um, it would probably feel really good for the White Sox to come back and win this game. And it is, again, within reach with the White Sox down 2 to nothing in the bottom of the fifth inning. 
All right, when we come back, let's get into the Chicago Bears and depth charts and another, or excuse me, an OTA session coming up in short order as well. We will talk to Mark Potash of the Chicago Sun-Times about the Bears next. I'm Mark Grody on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 